Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. I've got a wonderful, wonderful guest today. I think you're really going to love her. Um, actually, a returning guest because she's been on the show before. Um, and uh, I hope you'll stay tuned through the whole show. We've got a lot of meaty, juicy stuff to talk about today. But first, of course, uh, we have our little section from my book, Everyday Awakening, which you can get at everydayawakeningbook.com. And today's section is entitled, Forgiving ourselves is the key to embodying integrity. We all have ideas of how we are supposed to be. We talk about them to others whenever we have a chance. We believe in them and, and we help others with them. Yet how often do we find we don't follow these ideas ourselves? It's human, of course. We don't always walk the talk. It's a, that's okay as long as we reflect reflect on the times we don't. Look at why we don't practice what we preach. Perhaps it was just an isolated incident, or is it a part of a larger pattern? How often do we not listen to our own advice? Is it a once in a while occurrence or something more regular? Maybe there is something in that particular instance that is a trigger. Is there a clue in there about something deeper, maybe a childhood trauma, maybe something more recent? We all have triggers and traumas. That's normal and human. Yet the more we can be aware of them, the less they control us. Self-reflection and self-examination are the keys to growth. When we step out of integrity, it is a sign to look at ourselves. As we live our life in the real world, we often strive to become more in integrity. Beating ourselves up along the way does not help. Yes, we need to own it when we fall out of integrity. And at the same time, we can all learn to be gentler with ourselves when it does happen. Forgiveness is not just for others. It is also for ourselves. The more we forgive ourselves, the more we can learn to embody the integrity we may feel we have lost. Where have you fallen out of integrity? Can you forgive yourself for it? Can you clean it up and move forward and accept that you are human? So this uh, particular writing came from a rather uh, challenging time in my life a few years ago where um, during uh, my training, uh, I, I did something, I worked with somebody who I probably shouldn't have worked with. And I, I really, at the time, I did it because I felt like I wanted to help people. I wasn't graduating so soon. I, I, and I, I wanted to, to start leading groups. And this person, she was already doing work and, and I could work with her and stuff. And it turned out that I didn't have the best judgment. It turned out like I didn't fully tell my mentor what I was doing at the time. And when I had a little disagreement with this person, it blew up in my face. She called up uh, uh, my teacher and, and said these things that I did that I didn't do. 
and it really became a big mess. And for a while, I thought I was going to get uh, kicked out of my facilitator training because of it. And it really shook me to the core. And, and I really was very upset that I allowed things to get to that point that I didn't really see my own motivations at the time and how my trying to rush things and maybe, uh, you know, cut corners and do stuff, how in the end it, it just, it just blew up in my face. It was, and it was really felt very awful because I valued that work so much. I mean, I really, when you see the possibility of you losing something, that's when you really, uh, uh, start to realize how much and how important it is to you. And that's what happened to me. And, and my mentor was, was pretty cool about the thing. I mean, he did grill me and we had a long conversation about it and, you know, there were some consequences to it, but really what I learned more than anything else was to be a little bit gentler with myself to like, see and understand, like, why did I do what I did? Um, forgive myself, own up to it, clean it up, and move forward and to learn from it. And I can tell you, I've not repeated that mistake since then. Um, it, it is ingrained in my psyche. Um, so I learned my lesson, um, even though it was extremely, extremely challenging. And so what I took from that whole experience was how when we mess up, look, we all mess up. We're human beings. And as much as we try and live up to our ideals and to what we say is the right way to live and, and how to be, we all screw up. We all mess up. We're not perfect. And, and when we can get over this ideal, this perfection ideal that we have, then we can be more human and more real and when we recognize our own failures, when we recognize our own missteps, we can be more compassionate to other people when they misstep. But in order to be more compassionate to other people, we need to be more compassionate with ourselves. And so this section is really my gift to people to remind them that, look, integrity is very important living up to our word doing what we say we believe in believe in and living our life the way we feel is the right way to live and to be a role model very important and in order to really live up to the best version of ourselves that we can be it takes compassion self-compassion and it's so, so important. I cannot, cannot stress this enough of how much um, I've taken from that whole lesson and how much I understand now in a much deeper sense what it means to be human and how we are all human. And we all mess up sometimes. And it's not about the messing up. It's about what do we do afterwards. And that's really the key. Now, if that messing up is something continual, and, and we're continuingly to feed into that, that, that um, 
uh, trigger or that, that, that challenge, then that's something deeper to look at. Then that's something that perhaps we need to work with a facilitator or a mentor or, or work with a therapist or someone. Um, but obviously, I'm not talking about that kind of extreme thing. I'm just talking about those little things that trip us up. Um, and when we can be a little more compassionate and a little more kind to ourselves, they don't have to stop us. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to feel like an imposter. We just got to remember we're human. And we're, we're very, very human at, at those points in our life. So uh, I hope you like that little section from my book. Uh, it's called, again, Everyday Awakening. You are more powerful than you know. And it's a little book I wrote. I, I felt kind of important to come out at this time to give people different perspectives on life and how to view themselves to empower people and to um, really bring a different way of living into your life. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that. You can always get that at everydayawakeningbook.com. And now it is my pleasure to welcome to the show uh, Dr. Roshanak Hashemiyun, a behavioral neuroscientist, a speaker, and author. She is the founder of Access to the Path, a company that provides transformational and scientific consulting services for individuals, businesses, and media. As a highly trained scientific researcher, she combines the power of quantitative scientific knowledge with qualitative conceptual intelligence to help people and businesses become more purposeful, effective, and prosperous. Before launching Access to the Path, she was the founder and chief of the Human Brain and Behavior Laboratory in the Department of Stereotactic and Functional Neurosurgery, say that 10 times fast, at the University Hospital of Cologne. She's no slouch. Dr. Hashemion's work as a computational, clinical, and behavioral neuroscientist has spanned studies of the physical senses, social neuroscience, and the pathophysiology underlying uh, neuro neuropsychiatric disorders. With a deep passion for for an understanding of the human condition, Dr. Hashemiyun now reaches out to serve more than just the scientific and medical community. She uses her unique skill set and experience to help people power through the noise of a complex, rapidly changing world with innovative, usable strategies that support mental well being and optimize performance. Her mission is to promote the ethical growth and success of business and help individuals elevate to the greatest version of themselves. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Dr. Roshanak. Pleasure to have Thank you, you here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. That was a challenge, yes. huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's always a pleasure to welcome uh, people. I know you're ca calling in from Germany, so uh, I, I definitely would love to, to just dive right in because we've got a very meaty topic today um, all about, you know, uh, how we can use the latest in, in neuro uh, research and understanding of the brain and the way the brain works to help us to live a, a more fulfilling, a more satisfying life. And uh, um, we only got a couple of minutes before break, but I just want to start off touching about something um, about how I would say one of the things to me that makes you very unique is your deep understanding and appreciation for spiritual um, traditions and principles, as well as sort of marrying that with 
the hard science of neuroscience. And I'm just curious, like how you came to bring those two things together in your own life. That's a great question. And uh, funny enough, somebody asked me that same question, I think one or two days ago. <laughs> ah. um, so I was actually really born with both, to be honest. And, and once upon a time, they were very much intertwined. So when I was a, a little girl, I was four years old. I was very excited about atoms. I learned that they were ah. you know, the fundamental um, quanta of the universe. And then mm. I learned that you could split them. And so I really wanted to be a nuclear physicist to change the fabric of the universe. But I had already started to have these feelings about how science works, but also the, um, the flexibility of it, how much we don't know. You know, there's 95 to 98% dark matter and dark energy. That means um, energy and matter that we don't understand in the universe. Right. And, um, and I uh, come from a Middle Eastern background. And so this was very much a part of my upbringing. I was very deep into philosophy. And um, as I went forward, I, I understood that, for example, when your grandmother told you that you were getting sick because you were stressed out about maybe breaking up with your boyfriend or losing your job, and you'd say, oh, grandma, come on, you know, now we're, we have a hard science now. And then hard <laughs> science caught up with that, right. that qualitative and said, well, you know what? You get immunosuppressed when you're stressed. Ah. You see what I'm saying? And so there's so yes. much that we're still learning in science and, and, and particularly neuroscience, which is fantastic. We've had a lot of, we've made a lot of headway, but there's mm -hmm. still so much to understand. Um, and in yeah. particular with things, you know, uh, like consciousness, which is uh, a basis right. for this wonderful talk show. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to go to break. When we come back, I want to sort of get into because I, I like to, as you know, make things very practical for people listening, like how to apply this stuff. But I, I do want to like delve into a little bit of the neuroscience. But then let's get into like, how are we going to apply that in business in our life to being leaders in, in our communities? And, and, and like how we can understand the way our brain works, and then use that understanding to help us to do better okay okay wonderful so everybody please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we do this every thursday 12 noon to 1 p.m eastern time right here on talkradio.nyc and all over facebook with their facebook live and we will be right back with dr roshanak hashemniyun after these messages Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you 
live on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. So, Dr. Roshanak, um, being a neuroscientist, you really understand sort of, at least to the best of the understanding in, in today's scientific research, how the, the mind works. And there's something that I just learned about, I just heard the term for the first time, maybe three, maybe four years ago. Um, uh, I, I think I first uh, heard about when I was reading um, Michael Palin's book, Change Your Mind, uh, the default mode network. W- what is the default mode network in the brain? So the default mode network is a system in the brain that is um, functioning when we are in what's known as a task negative state. The task negative state is when you're not focusing on something. So for example, Mm -hmm. when you're resting and you're not doing much and you're not really, you know, strongly focusing on something. um, This is something that Marcus Rakeley first uh, came up with some decades. It's in the recent past ago and, um, and showed that there are different areas of the brain that come together as a system Mm -hmm. and are active when we are not focusing on a task. What's really fun about the default mode network is quite a lot, actually. What's, uh, what's, interesting, what's interesting about the default mode network is that uh, it's where creativity exists and also uh, rumination. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's where we are self-referential. And, um, and it's quite a, a wide, it uh, includes quite a wide area of the brain. Mm. Uh, different, uh, different regions, yeah. So if I'm uh, running my business or maybe I'm, I'm working a job and uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of stress and change, like the last couple of years, right? It, it, this has been a very sort of stressful time for everybody. We have information coming at us that we're not really sure which way to go, what to do, and, and, and we're having to change a lot of things. Um, how does that affect our default mode network and and what can we do to uh, you know have a better experience or be able to be more conscious more present more aware of of what's going on inside of us so that's not really relevant for the default mode network per se okay um stress is something that um affects the change in the body we colloquially use it to mean something that is negative, that would be mm-hmm. distress. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, but there's also good stress, which is eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. Um, mm-hmm. And when we become, so when we have a little bit of a challenge, then we be, we have, we go into eustress and that actually increases productivity. Oh. That makes us sharper. Uh, that allows us to be more aware. We're a little bit more vigilant and our productivity goes up. So mm-hmm. our efficiency for productivity increases when we're in eustress. Mm-hmm. And as that goes up, you know, with increasing stress, then at some point we peak out and any more stress will bring us down the other side. And that would be distress and our productivity drops then. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, so it's our, kind our of interesting. To pay attention, our, our memory, our focus, these things can become affected depending upon the level of stress and how long we've been experiencing it. Right. So it's kind of interesting because in in common terms, like when you, when I have conversations with people at, at business networking groups and and just one on ones, stress is always thought about as, as a very negative thing. But what you're saying is that like a certain amount of stress is OK. It's actually good. It can be productive for us. But it's when it reaches um, a level that's more than we can handle or or reaches a certain level that then there's diminishing returns. And now the stress becomes harmful and is no longer good for us. Right. So the original definition of stresses are using it was first presented by Hans Zelle in um, 1936. And it was Mm. just a a non-specific quote unquote, a non-specific response of the body to any demand for change. So, you know, demands for change happen all the time. Sure. And that doesn't mean that we're, you know, that we're decomping and that we can't handle it. Our bodies are very good at handling stress and change and all these things. It's just that when it gets past a certain level, and you can imagine how a little bit of stress makes sense to bring Mm -hmm. us into a sharper focus and vigilance, because let's suppose there might be a threat. I need to be more highly attuned to be able to handle that, right? Right. So a little bit of stress, this eustress actually does get us into a better place insofar as being uh, increasingly productive with respect to efficiency. But yes, once you hit a certain level, then we hit that colloquial definition of it, which is distress, but that we just say Mm. stress. Uh, How do we like gauge? How do we judge when we've sort of hit that point where the stress has become too much? Each person has a different set point. So you have to judge for yourself, are you still sort of excited and able to do well and in a good enough place? Or do you find that your, you know, your attention is going, your focus is going, um, your efficiency is going? Um, basically, it's an it's a inefficient use of our cognitive reserves. You know, is my memory not as good? Am I not learning as easily? Um, those kinds of things. Yeah. You, you, you know, basically, I, I... it's how do I feel? Right. Do I feel bad? Do I feel, you know, uncomfortable? You, so emotions are a wonderful thing. They're great messengers. They, they let us know if we're in tune with our body. And here's what that conceptual intelligence comes in, that being in tune when you practice self-awareness, for example, and, and stillness and mindfulness and all these things. And you, you start to understand when your body says to you, I'm uncomfortable, this is not good. Mm. And then you know you're, you're, not, you're no longer in eustress, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of interesting because uh, just last week I was in this networking event and they had like before they sent us to breakout rooms, they said, OK, our question of the week is what do you do uh, uh, to alleviate stress? And and I was 
kind of shocked at how many people when I was in breakout rooms and, and, and we were in breakout rooms with different people. And there was like two or three different breakout rooms and about 80 to 90% of the people said they meditate, which to me was just music to my ears. Cause I'm a you know, long time meditator, although I'm not, not, not as consistent with it as, as I would like to be. Um, but to see like, this was just a normal business networking event. This wasn't for like personal or development or anything, but so many people were, are practicing meditation now from a, from a neuroscience point of view, why does meditation help us to cope with distress? Well, because meditation brings us into presence it helps us become more present and aware, which is what I was just explaining. And so we become less reactive to our circumstances. Mm. So people who practice mindfulness have a uh, better ability to self-regulate. That means Mm. when during the course of of the day, as different events are occurring and we might become a little bit more destabilized, the way that they assess or appraise their circumstances um, has more equanimity. They're not, they don't experience um, emotional hijack, for example. So, so resting state dynamics are the state of the brain when we are at rest, like when we were talking about the default mode network. And they very reliably predict how we will respond to affective stimuli. Affective stimuli are those events that occur that, that are going to affect us emotionally. Mm -hmm. So when you practice mindfulness, when one practices mindfulness meditation, first of all, we change the structure and function of parts of the brain. Mm. Um, And then also, for example, there was a a study that showed um, a particular area of the brain, um, the posterior cingulate cortex, for example, becomes uh, less active for those who are dispositionally mindful or have trait mindfulness. And so Mm. if you practice mindfulness meditation enough, if you're not born with that sort of disposition, you can get yourself to a certain level. And these people are quite resilient, as it were, to these, um, to these changes, their resting state dynamics change to show more stability. So they have more equanimity. And what happened in this study is they found that their tolerance for pain had changed. Oh, quite, quite appreciably. And so um, a physical probe, a heat probe was, was applied to them and their set point had changed for tolerance, but also their responses to these affective stimuli had also changed uh, quite significantly. And so when you think about it in terms of uh, as a, either as an employee or as a leader, mm-hmm. if I practice mindfulness meditation, for example, I'm going to be able to be more stable in my workplace when these different challenges come, because remember those resting state dynamics reliably predict my response to affective stimuli. So now when changes come that would otherwise cause me to be reactive, I can be still and choose my response. Hmm. I have more control. I have more self-regulation over how I'm going to behave, how I'm going to interpret the events, for example. Right, right. So, so if I'm a business owner, let's say, mm-hmm. and, and uh, a new technology comes out that may uh, affect our market, and I need to uh, uh, decide, do we adapt this new technology? Is it too soon? What do I do? And, and I'm kind of in this state of, you know, of, of confusion. If I've practiced mindfulness and, and meditation, then 
I would be, let's say, more able to make a more um, a more informed or a less emotional decision about what to do as opposed to just reacting emotionally and like coming from fear or coming from anxiety or, or, or jumping the gun so that I might uh, decide, yeah, this is a great opportunity for us. I'm going to go with this new technology. Or I might say, you know what? It's too new a technology. There are a lot of risks in it. We don't know how it's going to work. Let me just wait a little while to see what happens with this technology if it truly gets adapted. So would you say like that's a, 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 um, a reasonable example of, of how it applies? It's pretty close, yes. So for example, spiritual practices like mm-hmm. yoga help to decrease anxiety mm-hmm. um, and allow us therefore to be able to have more clarity when we practice mindfulness meditation or breath work or yoga meditation, breath work being part of yoga, Mm -hmm. then um, we actually improve our executive functioning, our Mm -hmm. learning and memory. And um, all of those things that you said, except for one thing I would like to clarify is that emotions are not bad, far from it. They're quite helpful for us. And when it comes to executive function, and improve cognitive response and and cognitive clarity, then um, spiritual practices uh, are extremely helpful to us um, because we can use our emotions appropriately. What am I talking about? So there are patients who have, so we have our our logical thinking, right? And we Mm -hmm. think we're logical creatures because we have the ability to think logically. Mm -hmm. So we think, oh, well, I'm a logical person because I have the ability to think logically. So therefore all my decisions are logical. No, up to 80% (laughs) of our decisions are emotional, right? So what happens is then we think emotions are bad. I should make my decisions without emotions. As it turns out for those people, um, again, more data for Mm -hmm. those people who have really, um, intact executive functioning, those areas of the brain that are responsible for our good logical decision-making, but Mm -hmm. have some damage to the emotional centers, they actually fail to make decisions. We Mm. need our emotions to help inform our decisions because logically we can think of all the different reasons and variables that are important to the decision, but we fail to actually land on one. So the emotions help to inform us. And that's great because it's very powerful and it's helpful. So if I have this sort of bad feeling about something, then then my emotion is going to spotlight me to think about this a little further. And then I I can use my um, good logical thinking to bring in the different important variables. And maybe I missed something. Maybe Mm -hmm. I overlooked this. You know, maybe that person did have a red flag, but I didn't quite catch it, you know, about this new technology, something they said, my brain picked it up, but I need to be able to put the spotlight there. So our emotions are actually quite good and necessary for good decision-making. They're not bad, but we are able to regulate well so that we don't get emotionally hijacked when we're decision-making. Right, right, right. So that, so uh, you get, so it's a balance of both. And, and being aware of our emotions is essential so that, as you say, we don't get hijacked by them. Right. So awesome. we have good um, self-regulation. Got it. Got it. Okay. We got to take our next break. When we come back, I'd like to talk about something that, that we kind of chatted a little bit about uh, uh, before the show. Um, something that's kind of on my mind. I was just talking with, with uh, Eric Sauver on employment law today, earlier this week about it, the great resignation mm-hmm. and sort of what the, 
maybe, you know, what is the, the, I don't want to say consciousness, because I know you're going to yell at me for, for not yeah. using the term properly, but what's the awareness? Like, what's the, what can we learn from neuroscience and to understand why there is this phenomena right now? And, and, you know, what we can learn from this and take from this. Okay. Awesome. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. And we'll be right back with Dr. Roshanak in just a moment. Howdy. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. So, uh, Dr. Roshanak, before the break, I did kind of tease our next topic a little bit, the great resignation. And so I'm curious from what you've learned, um, how do you see, like, how did the great resignation come about? And, and what is it really saying about people's level of awareness these days? Uh, unmute yourself. Thanks. Sorry about that. <laughs> so it was brilliant what I said. Didn't you catch it? <laughs> yeah, it was the best part of the show. That's right. <laughs> In that one second. Yeah. Um, the Great Resignation was monikered by a professor uh, at Texas A&M, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really uh, about how people have decided that they're going to fit work into their lives as opposed to their lives yeah. into work. And so what's happened is in September, McKinsey published a survey that uh, showed that 40% of respondents had decided to, or were thinking about 
resigning in the next three to six months. Mm-hmm. And um, by and and in September, we did in fact have a historical resignation, a, a historical right. level of attrition in October. Uh, I believe it doubled. And by November, four and a half million people, according to the Bureau of uh, Labor and Statistics, had left their jobs. Mm-hmm. So um, what's happening is people have had the opportunity to work from home that gave them time to be at home with their loved ones, that right. gave them time to reflect, that gave right. them time to have a bit of a life, right. something that before they were continuously on call, before they were... Um, Uh, really stressed out Um, before they had to respond. They had to find a job that was only in their, in the vicinity of their physical location. Right. Now we've had the opportunity to get jobs that are a better fit for us across larger geographical opportunities, larger geographical locations because Mm -hmm. of this remote work. And so as we move forward, some companies are going to be working physically and they may compensate the, the employee more because of that. Some will be hybrid and some will be remote. And so for those employees and those workers, especially skilled knowledge workers, they're the ones who are really resigning and shuffling around. What they're doing is they're reconsidering their careers. They're reshaping and recrafting their careers. And they're picking up positions that are a better fit for them Mm-hmm. And that also now they have more options and opportunities to do so. So they're leaving where they are because it wasn't a good fit. The workplace culture didn't suit them well. Um, they didn't feel appreciated, perhaps. Uh, they wanted to live in a different part of the country even. So their lives are taking precedence over their jobs. And now they can, they can afford to do that. And not only that, but it's, um, it's an absolute necessity for them. They no longer can go back mm. to the way things were. And, and it, it's kind of interesting to me. It's kind of the way I see it's kind of a coming together of different trends that have been on the rise for a while. I mean, remote work has been with us for a long time. It just was never implemented on such a mass scale before. And, and many employees who wanted to work remotely, the company said to them, oh, we can't afford to do it. The, the infrastructure costs too much. Um, exactly and, right. And, and now it happened overnight, so they can't really take it away. And then with the, the pandemic, people are spending more time with themselves and with their loved ones, and they have more time to just I, I guess, be in a, a, sta- a resting state dynamic in their brain. Um, and then on top of that, uh, it, it's it's also this idea of, you know, I, I don't have to settle. And, and the gig economy also is the other thing that, you know, when when I was younger, you were you would never leave a job until you had another job to go mm-hmm. to. But nowadays, so many people are doing some little things on the side that may not necessarily be enough to completely support them and their family, but they're enough to like just survive or it gives them a certain level of uh, confidence that they can leave before they have something to actually go to. Even half a million, apparently, according to the statistics um, from a couple of months ago, half a million people left their jobs and decided to become entrepreneurs. 500,000 people. They're like, you know what, I'm going to try this on my own. Right, right. And and I think that's another trend that's happening is this increase in entrepreneurship. And, you know, for the last uh, couple of centuries, 
you know, there's been this movement away from entrepreneurship where there was this huge effort to take farm workers and artisans and turn them into factory workers and turn them into people who could work at corporations. Um, and, and that takes a certain skill set. But now people are sort of moving away from that. And I remember many years ago, I think it was Seth Godin who had said that, you know, in our parents' generation, they worked at one company their whole life, retired at 65, got the gold watch and, and, uh, a, pension. Uh, and a pension. And like that was it. And in our lifetimes, we've probably had anywhere from three to five different jobs or careers, different companies, different businesses. Um, but in our children's generation, the younger generation, they're going to have five to seven different careers simultaneously. Like they're not just going to be doing one thing. They're going to be doing multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm curious, like from, from a, a brain science point of view, you know, my wife always gives me a hard time because I tend to multi-process, you know, I'll be like on my phone and listening to something and doing something on the computer and she's highly like, inefficient. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so she always gives me a hard time about that, but it does seem like people today, uh, do tend to multi-process a little bit more, but from a brain point of view, is that a good thing, a bad thing, or just a thing? It's a, it's not a thing. So one of the beauties of the human brain is that we do have parallel processing, but only up to a certain point, you know, for certain tasks Uh, where we have focus, we do not parallel process any more than your computer does. It's just that it goes so fast. It seems like it's parallel processing Uh, and there is an up, up, an uptime and a downtime. So when you multitask, um, even if that multitasking is um, partial tasking, meaning, so you work at a job, right? And let's say you have 25% um, that you're committed to for four different projects. That's mm-hmm. actually very inefficient because it takes mm-hmm. time for your brain to ramp up and ramp down between the different projects. So it's, it's to that extent. It's not just in that immediate moment of multitasking. Yes, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. But that mm-hmm. doesn't require you to focus on anything, right? Uh, These are automated uh-huh. behaviors. So, but when you actually are focusing on work, work that requires your attention, then this multitasking actually isn't, isn't really possible and is highly inefficient. Mm. It's much better, <clears throat> excuse me, to do one task, focus on it, um, efficiently use that time and, and cognitive resource, stop, put it down and go to the next one. Mm. I understood. So it's really, it, it, it's not true multitasking. It's really more like splicing and it's like That's, one thing yeah, at a time, but you're just moving back and forth very quickly. That's right. It's a, it's a, it's a sleight of hand. Gotcha. 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 Um, We're almost time to take our our last break. And before we take the break, I just want to talk a little bit about um, how we can learn to improve the quality of our life through understanding things like that of how the brain works. So, okay. So, so it doesn't, it doesn't serve me to, to splice across many different things. Um, and, and you were talking sort of specifically around, let's say, a, a business task. But what about like in personal life? Like, you know, with our phones now, like everyone is so distracted, it feels like with their phones, is, is that causing an effect on our brains where someone's on their phone and, and trying to have a conversation with someone who's right in front of them? That's exactly right. That has, that has multiple ramifications, actually. Number one, the person who's right in front of you feels that they're not so important. They don't have 100% of your attention. So you are basically signaling to them, 
yeah, it's nice that you're here, but you're not worth 100% of my attention. I'm going to split my attention with you and this phone. This phone is also very important to me. So already now you're compromising the relationship. And on, on the other hand, you're also not able to, <clears throat> excuse me, fully connect to what that other person is, is um, conveying to you. So communication requires active listening. You have to really be present. And so when the person is speaking, you'll be able to pick up so much more than just a few words. Besides the fact which if you're distracted, you might not even fully pick up those words. So in order to be able to effectively communicate, you need to be able to get to the same place that that person is. Communication is about communion. That's the basis of the root of the word. And so you can't go into the same place together when you're already partially somewhere else. Hmm. Furthermore, we now come back to the default mode network, as yeah. well as talking about using up our cognitive resources. You get a fresh batch every morning when you wake up. If you waste it on this sort of digital thing where you're being mindless, not only are you using that up, but then also when we think about the default mode network, when you're always engaged, um, you're not able to be so innovative and creative, which is something that is highly prized right now. Ah, so it's kind of like uh, if you're playing oh, a little game thing. on your phone, you're playing Candy Crush or Solitaire <laughs> all the time, that then you're actually depleting your cognitive resources that then you don't have to apply to other tasks at hand. That's exactly right. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it's, it, it can be bad on multiple levels. Understood. Understood. We think it's innocuous. It's, it's, I'm just yeah. scrolling or I'm yeah. just playing this game, but your brain is actually using its resources. It has to, but you're wasting mm -hmm. them. Mm. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you'll be less efficient at other things. Okay. I just hope my wife's not listening because then she'll give me an even harder time about being on my phone. Uh -oh. Okay. So, so, <laughs> so we'll go to our last break. When we come back, I want to ask you a bit about access to the path, you know, what, you know, how you take what you do and now help people with it and, and what kind of services you offer and, and what kinds of successes that you've had working with people. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern time right here on talkradio.nyc. And we'll be right back with Dr. Roshanak Hashemiyun after these messages. Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4 p.m. every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. 
Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been speaking this hour with Dr. Roshanak Hashemiyun, founder of Access to the Path. So what exactly is Access to the Path and and what kind of services do you actually provide? Because you've you've been a brain researcher, right? You work at hospitals and stuff. What do you do for us normal folk? (laughs) Well, I like to call myself an a functional or integrative scientist. Mm. So the whole reason I went into science is because I found it to be a noble pursuit. It's supposed to help us to understand Mm. the world around us, our environment, as well as ourselves. And that knowledge should be supported. And if we don't have that knowledge, it doesn't help us. Um, And more importantly, as we were talking about um, phones and let's say social media, where others would actually recruit neuroscientists and scientists to help um, increase engagement and sustain it on these other uh, platforms, then it might not be to our advantage as we've seen. Mm. So this sort of gamification and these other algorithmic changes and so on and so forth. What I do is I provide that knowledge that these other platforms have and these powerful forces have but that we don't even realize, I feel like, like we're going into the gladiator's ring with like a twig in our hands. Yeah. <laughs> so unfair, you know, yeah. where all this knowledge is available, it needs to be well communicated. And this mm-hmm. is something, this is a talent or a skill that I have is to be able to communicate complex ideas into small bite-sized understandable little bits. Mm-hmm. And wow. so being able to help under, uh, people understand, for example, leaders understand that um, giving your employees downtime is not only a good idea, it's good business. Mm -hmm. You end up getting much higher levels of engagement. So in places where there's um, good psychological safety, you can see close to 70% increased engagement and productivity, right? Mm -hmm. You get about 40% decrease in burnout. There's a projected to be a $16 trillion effect of a mental health uh, in the workplace by the year 2030. Wow. This is tremendous. Wow. $12 billion worth of lost work days. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. So when we're thinking about it uh, in these terms, and when you think about even companies who have been affected by the great resignation, when they don't understand what's going on, then they're not going to be able to retain the employees, the good ones. And then it could be a win-win situation where you understand what's happening and why it's important. Why is it important to give your employee time off when they want it, when they need it? Hmm. It's not that they're running off to be irresponsible. They actually will end up coming back and being more uh, productive for you. So even in Olympic lifting, 
and uh, in other um, in samurai training, there isn't this idea of give it 100% or 110%. It's actually 60%. Mm. When you give 60% uh. is when you give optimized performance. You know, I, I, I often quote uh, this little um, idea from a book, The Diamond Cutter by Geshe Michael Roach, who was a Buddhist uh, a monk um, whose teacher uh, sent him out to the workplace. And, and one of the things, he, and he started, and he ended up working for a gem company. And he negotiated, um, after working there a little while, to be able to get Wednesdays off every week. And he said how he would not take a phone with him. He'd go off for a walk in the woods. He'd meditate. He'd do stuff, anything but work. And when he'd come back, he'd be more productive and more exactly. creative and more able to, 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 to do well at work. And because he was able to show this increase in productivity, he was able to negotiate that as like a permanent part of his employment at the company, which I thought was amazing, but really speaks to what you were just talking about, that we really do need rest. We need play. Yes. We need time away from yes. things and not just to be working you know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day on end just to meet a deadline. Efficiency, productivity, it all drops off. And we don't want that. You know, if somebody's going to be at work just to be a warm body at work for all these hours, but their actual work time, their productivity time is only a couple of few hours, then both parties lose because the resentment builds up, the exhaustion builds up, you know, and then you get burnout. Now you've really lost that. And one of the things we didn't discuss is besides the great resignation, there's the hidden resignation for those employees who are still working, they've become disconnected. They're not interested. So you don't get productivity and uh, performance. So the thing that I do, so there's scientific consulting, which is sort of self-evident and also for Mm -hmm. media, TV, film, Mm -hmm. um, because people, as you said, play when people are having fun and they're just watching a movie or, or show and they're engaged, that's when they learn. And I wanna make sure that they get the correct information. Right. Right. Then there's also this executive consulting, which is also self-explanatory and working with companies. So I've got programs. There's one called scale or fail that um, helps to explain these hidden variables that will allow you to have better workplace um, culture, increase Mm -hmm. productivity and performance, and also make sure that your company can scale without becoming like a Frankenstein company or being Mm. uh, will make them resilient to losses like the great resignation, but also for individuals. I'm a transformational advisor. That means that many individuals who reach that high level of success, mm-hmm. they, they have sacrificed time with family and friends. The number one regret yeah. of the dying is I wish I'd lived a life that was true to what I wanted and not what others wanted for me. Two of the other regrets are I wish I'd work less and I yeah. wish I'd spent more time with friends and family. Yeah. When yeah. you put these together, what you find are people that are doing what they thought they should be doing in order to fulfill someone else's narrative as opposed right. to their own truth. So it's like Sisyphus rolling a rock up a hill. It's just going to roll back down. There's so much effort that's being expended. Yeah. And then we don't have that satisfaction and fulfillment. And also we are not optimizing for achievement. So people yeah. finally get to where they think they're supposed to be according to this narrative. And they're like, is this it? You know, I'm unhappy. I'm dissatisfied. I'm divorced. My kids aren't talking to me, so on and so forth. So I I help people to come to that place where they bring forth optimally their gifts and blessings, which gives them satisfaction, improves their achievement, and also applies and supplies to others what only they can bring forth. So when we think what we have is not enough, 
then we don't realize that what we're offering is what somebody else is waiting to fill their cup. So we become satisfied in bringing forth what we uniquely can. And others are happy because they receive what they're waiting for you to give to them. It's a win-win situation. We optimize for performance and we optimize for fulfillment. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, I did get a question. Maybe you can answer it really super quick because we got to end the show. Uh, Patty on the Facebook Live asked, how does working from home affect workers? Right. So it was actually shown that people who are working from home ended up uh, increasing their productivity, but it turned out it was at the expense of them becoming more stressed because they were working longer hours, being on Zoom calls, so on and so forth. What's important about working from home is being able to frame and structure the way that you're working. So uh, being able to have this articulation, I talk about um, structural landmarking and temporal landmarking that helps the brain to very quickly shift into that next mode. Remember we talked about multitasking mm-hmm. and being able to quickly get a cue from the environment and say, now this is my work time and space. So I right. can do that here. So you get the benefits of working from home without the losses. And that's something that I also teach and, and speak to publicly at organizations. Wonderful. So we got to tie it up. If people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? What's your website? Give, give any So my any website is accesstothepath.com and they can write to me on my email at support at accesstothepath.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm on, but I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Clubhouse. I'm very active on Clubhouse. Uh, and, and what's uh, your handle on Clubhouse? Sorry? What's your handle on Clubhouse? My hand, uh, all my handles on all social media is access to the path. Access to but the But they path. can also on Clubhouse find me under my name, Roshan Akashi. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my show today, Dr. Hashimiyun. Thank you for inviting me. There's so many more topics I would love to touch upon with you that we'll definitely have to have you come back in the future. Um, A a big thank you to uh, Graham Dobbin, a host of The Mind Behind Leadership, for connecting us and introducing us. I truly appreciate it. Um, And really, thank you to you, my loyal listeners, uh, Patty and, and Sanaya and William out there on, on Facebook. And uh, please uh, stay tuned. Coming up later today, uh, Frank Harrison and his show, Frank About Health, he's actually doing another two-hour special today uh, at five o'clock. His guest is Dr. Dorothy Martin Neville, a dear friend of mine. And then he uh, has uh, Dr. George Ann Dow returning uh, as in the second hour. And of course, Fridays we have Uh, our whole block of business shows. And then Monday, we do it all over again. And if you have not yet uh, signed up for our newsletter, please go to www.talkradio.nyc and sign up to the newsletter so you can learn about all of our wonderful upcoming shows. And if you missed any part of today's show, you can catch us on all of the podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio. We're all over the place. If, if you can't find me on a platform, let me know. We'll be there soon. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. Thank you.
Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.